This episode of Saturday Morning Rewind is brought to you by Voice Chasers, celebrating voice actors and the craft of voiceover since 1996. Visit them online at voicechasers.com to learn more about this episode's guest or any other voice actor. Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. So let's go back in time to when Cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, yo! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host... Tim Nidell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind. My name is Tim Nidell, and this is the podcast that takes you back to your childhood one interview at a time. Of course, you can find us online. It's SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Follow us on Facebook. Just type in Saturday Morning Rewind. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for us at Saturday Rewind. Please make sure to leave those positive iTunes reviews. They really do help us out. And also, we are trying to get some funding to finish our documentary that we started to film last summer. It's a little documentary about my childhood, about where I grew up in Reno, that kind of stuff. So if you want to help us out, go to our donation tab on our website. Again, that's SaturdayMorningRewind.com. And you'll see so many different options to donate. We have a Patreon campaign if you want to help us out financially with a monthly donation. Or a GoFundMe and PayPal tab if you just want to give one lump donation. We also just put up a brand new link for an eBay auction. It's a buy it now for $10. It's limited edition Saturday morning rewind pins that I had custom made. Really amazing looking, about the size of a quarter. And 10 bucks plus shipping, can't beat that. So again, all the proceeds are going towards this documentary that we're filming. And uh, pretty soon, my brother and I are going to go back to our old hometown, our childhood hometown of Reno, Nevada. And we're going to take our dad with us. Our, our dad passed away about almost six years ago, but we're taking his ashes with us and we're going to spread them there. And uh, we're going to get a little bit of that captured on film for the documentary. And another cool thing is that this is my brother and I's first time back together in Reno since I was 13 in 1993 when we moved away. So it's going to be some really cool stuff for the documentary. And I may just get a little emotional because, you know, it's the three of us guys together from the family. It's my dad's back with us. And as you may know, I've said this before in the podcast, it's because of him that I started this show because I wanted to, you know, put something out there to celebrate my childhood that him and my mom gave me. So it's going to be some really cool stuff for the documentary. So even if you have a dollar just to spare, you know, anything would help us out, honestly. But anyways, today's episode, I'm excited to get out there. I've been a huge fan of his voice since I was probably, I think I would have been seven or eight, when I first heard him as Gopher on the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Certainly, Rabbit. Be glad to help you find him. Hey, get a grip on yourself, Rabbit! He also voiced one of the all-time greatest villains in any Disney Afternoon series when he voiced Colonel Spigot for Tailspin. I am Colonel Spigot! Perhaps you've heard of me. I am the stuff of your worst nightmares. 
And of course, I can't forget one of the most underrated Darkwing Duck villains of all time, where he voiced Jambalaya Jake for Darkwing Duck. Hey, I hear you city folk be doing a benefit for the bio. <laughs> well, I'm Jambalaya Jake, bio born and bred. And of course, I'm talking about the super talented Michael Goff. You guys are in for a wild ride for this episode. He's got some amazing stories to tell about each one of those shows and some really, really cool Disney stories to tell as well. And while you're following us on Facebook, make sure to follow him on Facebook. Just type in Michael Goff, V-O. That's G-O-U-G-H. I'll also post that same link on our website, our Facebook, our Twitter, etc. But just make sure to go follow him. It's a brand new Facebook page of his, so he's got a limited amount of follows. So let's bump that up a little bit and show him some love, shall we? But anyways, here is my interview with Michael Goff. Michael, so thank you so much for coming on the show. I've been a huge fan. I think the first thing I heard you on may have been probably Tailspin. And ever since Colonel Spigot, I've just been a huge, huge fan of your work. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, uh, you are uh, extremely welcome, and I appreciate the uh, nice comments. And it's nice to know that uh, you've been around that long. <laughs> So tell me, tell me about yourself. When did you first get the uh, acting bug? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that had the acting bug, you know, from an early age, mm -hmm. really. At least, not that I was aware of, perhaps. However, I do remember when I was a little kid, sitting around watching TV and sometimes trying to mimic what I was hearing on TV, you know, with... Uh, different voices, and uh, I actually do kind of remember whenever it was that I first saw the um, Winnie the Pooh short film uh, way back when. I believe it, you know, it was the one that won uh, an Oscar for Best Animated yep, Short. Yep. And, yeah, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Yeah. And there was the, the character of uh, the gopher who had his funny little speech impediment that he whistled, you know, <laughs> when he says an S. And I kind of remember sitting around thinking that was uh, amusing and trying to uh, copy that. You know, lo and behold, many years later, that was kind of my first big job as a, a voice actor. Oh, okay. Well, See, I thought... I thought tells gopher on the Winnie the Pooh you know, cartoons. Yep, yep, series. yep. I do. I do remember that. I, so that would have been my first time I heard you then, would have been Winnie the Pooh as a gopher. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, but even, you know, back then, it, it, the thought of being an actor or something like that just never entered my mind. You know, my, I had kind of a musical ear. I think my mom was a musician and a piano teacher and played the pipe organ and all kinds of things. So I used to hear a lot of music growing up, and she sort of nudged me towards taking piano lessons, not from her, but uh, from somebody else. And, and I, I was begrudgingly, you know, I didn't like practicing, and I'd rather be doing other stuff. But it, it, it did kind of sink in, you know. Mm -hmm. And I still, I mean, uh, that's a big thing for me. Still, these days, it's music and 
playing a few instruments. But having that ear for things helped a lot. It, it, it wasn't until I was almost done with college that the idea of acting sort of entered my head. Wow. I originally went to, yeah, I went to UC Santa Barbara. I was an English major. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had gone there on a little tiny athletic scholarship. I was a shot putter and discus thrower, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, used to weigh a lot more <laughs> back then. But just as I was about to graduate and not really knowing what I was going to do, I thought maybe I'll go back to school and maybe try to get another degree in music, although the only reason for that is because I didn't know what else to do yet. I didn't have, you know, I didn't really want to be an English teacher. So I saw these signs around the campus uh, that said, Audition for Original One-Act Plays. And that was something that I always kind of thought, maybe that would be fun to try, only because I sort of... Uh, I enjoyed reading out loud. That was one thing that I did know. Hmm. I, I, I had fun reading things out loud. So I, I, I thought, you know, on a whim before I leave school, I'll just try. I'll try this once, just for fun. So I went and auditioned for these. It was like a playwriting class in college. And got uh, picked to be in one of them and... Uh, it was just one performance, and something about it kind of grabbed a hold of me. And all of a sudden, I thought, hmm, maybe I'll go back to, you know, come back, go try to get another degree and see what this theater thing is like. And that's, that's where that started. It's kind of a rambling story, too. No, it's, it's great, <laughs> yeah. Question. But, <laughs> you know, so I went back, stayed in school, Took, uh, took all the, the acting classes and the theater stuff and then kind of realized that I, this seems like something I might want to try to do. Still had no idea if it was even possible, yeah. you know, as an actual <laughs> career. But And then, you know, getting into the, the voice acting thing, that was a whole, that was still something I didn't really know you could do. But once we moved to L.A., took a class, in uh, a voiceover class, again, because it seemed like it might be kind of fun, you know, reading stuff out loud. And that, and that sort of pointed me in the direction. The woman who taught that class was real helpful and sort of helped me, you know, get an agent and actually start auditioning for things. And, and you know, it's kind of a typical story for how you get started, but... Uh, and that ended up being the path I went down. I was doing a lot of theater here in L.A. for a while, and some on-camera stuff, but then the voice acting. Uh, and again, it sort of almost harkened back to when I was a little kid. It's like, hmm, there's something kind of uh, familiar or uh, something I kind of get about this. How old were you when you were trying to mimic Gopher as a kid? I mean, I must have been like, uh, I don't know, five, six, seven, something like that. Wow. And, and back uh, then, were you able to get that whistle into his, his dialect? <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to remember. If I, I mean, <laughs> I guess so. And it may, I don't know, maybe I was a little older than that. Mm -hmm. Again, I, I think having kind of a musical ear 
helps you, you know, you hear something and then you try to yeah. recreate it or approximate it. And I mean, some of the greatest voice actors out there still working have background in music. You know, you have like Jim Cummings, Jess Harnell. They all sure. came from music. So it makes sense that music would help you as a voice actor. Yeah, because, you know, you're having to manipulate your voice to fit within a certain framework, which in that case is is musical notes, you know, and then there's all the dynamic stuff of loud and soft and communicating emotions and whatever through a song. But you also have to hit the right notes. It's it's you're yeah. constrained within this box. Exactly. Of music. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's you know, translating a character just through your voice, but it has to incorporate all this stuff of sounding like this character is supposed to sound, you know, emotions, fear, sadness, excitement, whatever it is. And, and, it, does, and it has to kind of sound real, too. You know, you have to believe, even if it's, you know, a talking lawnmower or something. <laughs> it has to. I, think, I think Frank Relko does the voice of all the talking lawnmowers out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, he was. Yeah, I got to work with him a few times. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you I, know, all those guys are just—they're like legendary. And when I when I first got into you know the voiceover business and had the agent and started going on auditions, this was back when—and it still happens occasionally—but you would go to certain places for auditions. You know, and they record you, and sometimes it would be with a partner or a little group or whatever. So you'd see all these people there waiting in the lobby mm -hmm. of where. And I would, uh, you know, when I was first into this, I would see uh, some of these, a lot of them were like kind of older character actors that I'd seen on TV a lot, or famous, you know, some voices that I knew from, from cartoons and things. And I would actually see them and meet them. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's the voice of Scooby-Doo or it's the voice of uh, uh, the Outer Limits or, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. And to me, that was kind of like, yeah, it was a big deal. Exactly. It would be for me, too. I'm the same way. I'm a fanboy when it comes to certain things, for sure. I mean, how can you not? I mean, you work in one of the worth with some of the greatest actors. You know, people might not realize it, but voice actors are some of the greatest actors of all time. Honestly. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, you can't you can't be a you know quote unquote good voice actor unless you're a good actor. You know, it's all it all sort of stems from the same you know, creative well, it's just, uh, it's a different branch of the same tree, basically. It's just a, it's a different uh, craft. But yeah, I would say anybody who's a good voice actor is invariably going to be a good actor. Yep, exactly. And that's why, you know, some people, and there are people who just have a voice or a sound or they've got pipes that are just incredible. And, you know, sometimes you can, some people do have careers based on one particular sound, and uh, I'm not saying that they're not good actors. No, I completely, they, I know what you're know, talking about. Yeah, people yeah. like Lorenzo Music, who you worked with, you know, yeah. known for one voice, but that voice was so iconic. Why not just do one voice? 
Yeah. But there was still, you know, the through line of uh, believability, you know. Yep, exactly. He, he made it sound like, okay, that's, I, I, I believe in that. That's true, because if you go back, and if, if I went back and played maybe his top five known characters, I can easily pick out, just listening to the audio, what character he is playing, because you can just kind of tell. He, he does change it a little bit. To, to morph into that different character. Yeah, you know, and it's there's a lot intention goes a long way, I think, you know, and that will fill in, you know, the, the little differences between, you know, those characters, even though they basically sound the same. Yep. Like you say, you can tell. Yeah, you can, I think you can easily tell the difference between his different character just because the way he approaches each character is a little different. And... And someone like me, for instance, I don't really have a sound, so I kind of, you know, being as versatile as you can be helps, because otherwise, you know, I just don't really have a particularly interesting regular sound. Yeah, this is a typical, you know, white guy sound. <laughs> That's true. It's weird. I once had somebody, I think, I think she was from Indiana. And I'm trying to, it was in college, and I'm thinking maybe she was like a visiting instructor or something. And she said to me, she goes, you've got the thickest California accent I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what? Wow. I don't even know what a California accent is. But <laughs> it's kind of no accent, honestly. Yeah, and maybe that's what she missed. She, maybe she, it's, that was a, a way of saying you have the most nondescript voice yeah. ever. To me, I'm thinking, well, you know, if I'm like from California, it's going to sound, you know, something like yeah. that, maybe. I never, yeah, I, I, I think I just have kind of a nondescript. Mm -hmm. uh, it's funny you say that because normal. what I, I grew up mainly on the West Coast up until I was 13. I lived in California and then Reno was where I really grew up. But then I moved to then I moved to Florida when I was thirteen, and from there I moved up north to North Dakota when I was about well, nineteen or twenty. And so when I went back to my high school reunion, which was in Florida, this one kid there that I didn't I don't know who he was. He was with a friend, I guess. He wanted to beat me up because he said I was from New York. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, this, this opens a whole can of worms. Yeah, first and, of all, what have you got against New York? You know, seriously, uh, I know. Well, you know, I lived in a small rednecky town in Florida, so not, they don't like a lot of the uh, northerners coming down there. Wow, so, uh, well, this we could get into a whole other thing about your 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 life. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated how you ended up in all these different places. I've actually lived in, like, I think seven or eight different states my whole life. Because I don't I don't know what it is, but I think three of those were with my family, of course, growing up. But then when I turned nineteen, I moved away, and I just I just caught a bug. I just wanted to keep on moving. I would meet new friends, and then the main thing that happened was I started working in Yellowstone, and I met a lot of people from all over the country, all over, all over the world, and um, that's when I met a girl. You know, fell in love, did that thing, and I moved to North Dakota to be with her. But then we broke up like a year later. I just stayed there and then I just traveled around and just moved different places, honestly. That's cool. I cut, excuse this cat. <laughs> or your cat. I do, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I, I kind of like, uh, I, I kind of envy that. Uh, I haven't lived in too many different places. Mm -hmm. 
And I've, I've uh, lived in Montana now for the past nine years. This is my second longest I've ever lived anywhere was here in Montana. First would have been Reno as a kid. So that's the, yeah, where, whereabouts in Montana? Just south of Missoula. Okay. So like the bottom left-hand corner of Montana. Did you have a, a decent view of the eclipse? It was actually pretty good. It was like a 90% totality. <laughs> yeah, I think you're pretty close to the, what was it, the path of totality? Yep, we were. I think it was only like an hour or so away, I think it was. Yeah, I think that's, somebody's got to use that as the title of a video game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you know, I've never been to Montana, and I just imagine that it's it's beautiful. It's got clean air. Well, not not right Why now, honestly. Right now, there's a ton of smoke because we have like three major fires surrounding us. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's not threatening our area, not per se, but about 50 miles north of us is a pretty big fire. Oh, geez. Well, gee, I, I hope it doesn't spread anymore. I know. I mean, it's it's hard. It, it, I mean, it's pretty much all forest here, so it's hard not to spread. Yikes. Okay, so I wanted uh, I wanted to go back and talk about Gopher for just a little bit. What was it like working on Winnie the Pooh? Oh, it was uh, it was awesome. Um, and like I said, that was it wasn't like the very first voiceover job I had, but it was the first. Well, it was definitely the first like series with a character, you know, a, a regular character, mm-hmm. and I, I couldn't really believe that I was getting to do it at first. And those were often done with, you know, the, the small group of, of characters and actors, uh, Jim Cummings, of course, uh, Ken Sansom was uh, rabbit. Oh, Al yeah, Smith yeah. was owl, you know, and we, now the one thing we, we never worked with piglet, oh. uh, cause he was in New York. Okay. I was wondering, because he was one of the original cast members of, you know, the real Rena the Pooh, so it would have been really cool to work with the real yeah. the real Piglet. Oh, and I would have. I would have loved it, because I knew who he was. He mm-hmm. was his name was John Fiedler. He was a character actor who, he literally sounded like that. I know he did. That was his regular voice. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the way he sounded all the time. <laughs> and uh, it would have been great to be able to meet him. And I knew who he was from a few other things, like Star Trek. Yes, that's he, right. There was yeah, a, a great Star Trek episode of the original series that he was—he turns out to be the villain, and he, he was awesome. Yeah, that was a great uh, episode. So we never, we never got to meet or work with him. Um, uh, 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 Tigger, uh, who was um, uh, Paul Winchell. I got to meet him maybe two or three times. Mm-hmm. He always just did his thing by himself. There were a couple, a few episodes where there was singing involved. So that's when I actually got to meet him and work with him. And he was, he was cool. He was, I mean, he, and he's, you know, legendary. Of course. He was, he was a ventriloquist and like really well known for that. Um, a lot of people didn't know and I didn't know. He was this kind of brilliant guy who had books published on like philosophy, and he he kind of invented or came up with the first rough 
like working draft model of the artificial heart. Wow. He was, yeah, he, uh, doing the voiceover thing was like, <laughs> you know, I think pretty far down on the ladder of his, you know, his, his what his talents were. Yeah. And he was a little bit of an eccentric guy in a way, but he just preferred to do his voice stuff, at least on this show, but on his own. So, but when I did get to meet him a couple of times, it was really, it was, it was awesome. And he was, he was very cool. And then of course, shortly, of course, after, you know, uh, Jim Cummings yep. ended up I was gonna say that. taking over the role of Tigger after Paul. I think he, before he actually passed it away. It was, it was actually a good, it was actually a good amount of time before he passed away, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I think he just either just couldn't really do it right anymore or didn't, it just, wasn't in him, just didn't feel like doing it anymore. I mean, which is kind of interesting because the original voice of the gopher, uh, Howard, um, uh, 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 oh, jeez, I'm blanking on his last name. Uh, I mean, he was still, he was around when they started the cartoon hmm. series up. And for whatever reason, he just didn't, just didn't want to do it. Uh, geez, it's killing me that I can't blanking on this. <laughs> I don't know what it is either. It'll, it'll come to me. I'm sure it uh, will. Probably at midnight when you wake up. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> how could I have forgotten? Okay, so hands down, my favorite characters of uh, character of yours easily is Colonel Spigot from Tailspin. The, the, the combination of giant ego and small stature is... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the the great conflict there is, is a lot of fun to play with, and I I mean I think I you know the, I've told this story before, and I it's you know so it's out there. But originally Colonel Spigot was I mean there was somebody else doing Colonel Spigot originally. This was before the show even aired, and there were several episodes that had already been animated, but for some reason they just decided. That the, that voice wasn't working. I think it had something to do with the fact that it may have had some kind of a an accent that was, you know, veering into the like German and Nazi okay. territory. And they just decided that they needed to make a change. And at the time, I was, you know, working on Winnie the Pooh. So, I, you know, whoever was doing stuff with Disney Animation at least knew who I was, and. I had a chance to audition for the recasting of Colonel Spigot and ended up, you know, getting to do it. And what's interesting is, and this is not the way it is with most anything, you know, most any uh, animated cartoon or video game or anything, uh, is that there were probably at least three or four episodes, I think, uh, yeah, maybe it was just three, where I had to watch the, the picture that was already completed and mm -hmm. match the movements and the timing and everything. Usually you're just recording the voice, you know, first. Yep. But it was interesting that I had to go, and one of them I know was uh, The Idle Rich, that um, episode. Okay. Yep. You know, with the golden idol. The, yeah, where the, Blue and Kit are get it, and you take it back from them, whatever, and they trick you into giving it back to them, something like that. Right, right, right. 
that was the first episode that I recorded, as I recall, and it was all you know having to match the 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 footage, the the video. So there's a few moments in there where it's like you can tell that they, you know, there was like an edit, and so it sounds a eh, just a little funky. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was, and then after that, after those were completed, then I did the rest of them the way you normally do. I think most of those I did uh, on my own, which was a little unusual back then. Most of the time you're with a little group. Uh, I think there were one or two that I got to do with other people. The rest of them were just, you know, recording your part with the director and, you know, the other people on the other side of the glass, so to speak. Yeah, it's a shame Uh, because they had had a great cast. It would have been great to work with them all. Yeah, no, I didn't, um, uh, try to think, never did, I don't think I ever worked with Sally Struthers. Ed Gilbert, I knew him, and he was great, and, and you know, he was, uh, Baloo. Yep. One thing about him that you may not know is that he was like this world-renowned entomologist. He was like this insect and bug huh. uh, scientist. He, I think he actually discovered... There, there, there's a species that he discovered, and and he would go off on you know expeditions to various parts of the world, <laughs> collecting and researching uh, bugs <laughs> wow. and insects. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> so he was cool, and actually, well, and Lorenzo, I, yeah, most of the time, and I I had met him, and you know a few times before but we often didn't do stuff together for that it would have been nice to yeah because you guys were you know he was your right hand man on the show so i would have assumed he would have been there with you yeah most of the time not but i think you know hopefully it still comes across that's that's another interesting thing about voice acting and it's become more so now than ever i think is that you know sometimes and maybe often you record stuff on your own. Yep. Especially with, now, yeah. With the director and the writer and, you know, the sound engineer and whoever else is there. So you have to kind of, you know, get your imagination in gear and you rely on the direction. And I mean, it's really, really the case with video games. Yeah, it's true. You know? I mean, you're there for hours screaming the same word over and over again in different ways. Right. And if it's, you know, you have to rely on somebody to tell you what the hell is going on. Yeah, know? it's true, because you don't have the whole script. Right. I mean, there's like, depends on, you know, which uh, which plays has been, you know, activated, yep. which path has <laughs> gone down, where, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Tailspin was just, it was, uh, it was great. And uh, Jeannie McSwain, who was the voice director, Ah, great. Maybe that was the first time I worked with her. And she was one of the legendary, you know, voice directors uh, for decades. Yep. And you you really had to be on your toes with her because she was, like, sharp. There was, like, no time wasted. You had to be prepared and (laughs) ready to, like, you know, it's like you, when you worked with her, it's like you just drank a pot of coffee because you're like, okay, okay, uh, uh, okay, I'm ready, you know, which is good. That's that's how you get the best out. Exactly. Well, I do remember 
I think the first time that I ever really realized or experienced, you know, some kind of like fan reaction Mm -hmm. was for Tailspin. I had gotten, you know, an email from somebody from the, the East Coast. I can't even remember where. I think her email name was like Baloo something. Uh-huh. It was Baloo within her name. And she, I guess, or the, this little gathering of folks had organized a meeting out here in L.A. It's at a hotel near the airport. And they asked if I would be, you know, willing to come. And, and I thought, sure, I uh, yeah, I, it sounds like fun. I didn't. Uh, I didn't even know that people would go to those lengths mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I did, and it was just kind of a small gathering of, of people. I don't know, maybe there was like twelve or fifteen, maybe. It was basically in this hotel room. Wow. But I, I just, I was, I mean, I was really flattered and kind of fascinated by, you know, and they were screening episodes in the room there, and, uh, and I thought, wow, this this is sort of having some kind of an effect on people. That was kind of the first time I realized. Wow, that's great. What year yeah. What year was that? Jeez, it was a long time ago. Uh, and this would have been, what What years did Tailspin air? I want to say so, Tailspin was, oh man, was it just like 1990? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this would have been this would have been like early '90s. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking online right now. '90 to '91, it aired. Yeah, maybe this this would have been like maybe '92. Okay. '93, maybe something like that. Wow. So way before all these comic cons make millions for doing that same exact thing, they did this yeah. in one small hotel room. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah it wasn't like panels and you know signings or anything. It was just some fans that decided they wanted to get together and, you know, come together in a place not where they lived. And and somehow, yeah, I don't even remember how they got a hold of me. <laughs> yeah, because like, back then there, there, was, there was no IMDb or anything to even get a hold of anybody. Yeah. No, this was before all of that. Uh, I mean, this was even really even before cell phones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, cell phones. If there were, they were like the size of a brick. Exactly, and the the Save by the Bell cell phone. <laughs> yeah, but that was. I mean, I was really kind of you know taken by that. I was like, wow, you know, these these guys are like really uh, kind of passionate and serious about mm-hmm. this. I love that. This is a long answer to your question about tailspin uh, i love it though no it's a great answer i do have my uh colonel spigot action figure yes i do too i still have mine in my box <laughs> or not not the same one i i had another one as a kid that i played with but i bought a new one recently on ebay in the box i love it and that's another thing too when i saw when i first saw that there was a colonel spigot action figure i was pretty blown away yeah you know now there are you know you can find figures for almost any obscure character from anything. Uh, you know, whether it's one of those pop Yep, uh, true. You know, yep. Pop final things. But the fact that they were that they would have made a an action figure out of somebody like Colonel Spigot. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I even hear they had like a second wave coming out that they didn't ever release. Like if you look in the back of your of your box, it shows a picture of the toy for Wildcat. That they never actually mm-hmm. released. I wish they would have released yeah. that. That would have been amazing. 
<laughs> well, I, you know, for a while there were things uh, with gopher. Either there were little gopher figurines or a little plush gopher. There's some snow globes with gopher in them. And I grabbed and everything and anything <laughs> I could find that had gopher on it. And then it, and then it all disappeared. Yeah. So now I've got this, you know, it's not huge, but it's a collection of just about anything that, <laughs> that has uh, gopher in it or is gopher. So, yeah, if wow. I ever get really desperate, I could... Although, I don't know if anybody cares that much about uh, gopher. <laughs> oh, come on. He's he's beloved by everybody. Well, thank you. Yeah, I... You know, he they sort of he just sort of disappeared. He did. He really did. Part of it was, I think, because that character was a Disney creation. The character of Gopher was not in the original Winnie the Pooh books. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's a great character, and I think you know uh, he was he was uh, popular and beloved on the <laughs> on the show. Uh, but then you know when the original animated series ended and uh, you know there were a few other things like Christmas specials and holiday specials where he would show up but somewhere along the line somebody decided that eh, we need to just uh, let him stay down in his tunnel <laughs> well hopefully he'll come out of retirement at some point and you can do the voice again uh, yeah that'd be good. I mean I don't yeah he's he's just uh He's retired, but he's not. He's still around, right? So yeah, he could be resurrected. Exactly. I mean, they're rebooting everything nowadays. You never know. Yeah. Another one of my favorite characters of yours. It was very underrated. He wasn't on very many episodes, but that would have been Jambalaya Jake from Darkwing Duck. Yeah, bless. Uh, ooh, boy, bless your heart. Now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was in two episodes. Okay, yeah, I thought it was three for some reason, but two sounds right, yeah. Let's see, Double Dark Wings and Can't Buy You Love. Yeah, I think that would have been it, yeah. Now, this blows me away, too. One day, it's when I was was doing a play here in Los Angeles, and I was uh, rehearsing, and there was somebody in the cast that had to, like, miss a couple of weeks of performance, I think maybe because they got, like, something on TV. So there was a, a gal who came in as an understudy, and she was going to, you know, perform for a couple of weeks. And the, like the first or second time we got together, just from hearing my voice the way it is now, now I think in this play there's a little bit of a, yeah, I don't even think there was much of an accent at all, really. But she said to me, hey, were you on this cartoon, Darkwing Duck? What? Wow. Uh, yeah, she goes. Did you do that? Uh, that little character, that little Cajun character. <laughs> I go. Are you? You, you got to be kidding me! You can't. Somehow she heard something in my voice that made her, you know, reminded her of that, and thought maybe I had done that voice or something, which completely baffles me. Yeah, seriously, because it sounds nothing like you, or nothing like any previous character you've done that I've heard at least. Yeah, no, I, I I wouldn't think so. But that was, yeah, that's a great character. He was, uh, again, and I started thinking, hmm, this is, there's a pattern here. He's like, you know, 
big ego, small stature. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. In a totally different way than, than Spigot, but uh, he would not. It was great. It was fun. He kind of got to, you know, choose scenery with that, uh, you know, that Louisiana Cajun Bayou thing, and it was it was a blast. You can really kind of wrap your your mouth around some of that. You know, you be going to do a little wrestling. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's, uh, it's it, great. I never did, uh, I never, well, well, I did. I knew Jim Cummings, of course. Um, uh, Launchpad, he, he was up in San Francisco. Yep. Never, never met him. Yeah, I, I believe he ever. was located, I believe he reloca- relocated midway during DuckTales, and so he didn't really ever record with any of the cast from DuckTales or Darkwing Duck. Yeah, but, yeah, nothing, I mean, I got nothing but, you know, mostly really fond memories of all this stuff. Even the fact that I was kind of working for Disney oh, yeah. blew me away. Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Disney freak ever since I was a little baby, so I would be the same exact way, just knowing that you're getting a paycheck from the Disney company itself would give me goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, eventually, if I kind of came to realize that they're, Disney is a... They'll pinch every penny they can get. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, it doesn't matter. I, And I actually had, well, kind of a couple of interesting connections to Disney from way back, uh, which I'll just tell you about briefly. You may get a yeah, kick out of it. of course. Well, me and my younger cousin the first two people to ever ride Pirates of the Caribbean. Wow. And the reason is, um, my grandfather, this is like after World War II, my grandfather and these um, three other guys, uh, they, they had all been working together like, like an ironworks factory, and they were, you know, kind of engineers, builders, whatever. They decided to get together and form this little company, uh, and this is up in the Bay Area. And they started out building little like carnival rides, and they, they built like local kitty carnival things and carousels. And the company is called Aero Development. There's actually a documentary about them that just dropped, I think, like last year. Wow. Uh, anyway, somehow. Walt Disney got wind of this little company when Disneyland was being planned, and he met with them, and he ended up hiring them to build a lot of the original rides at Disneyland, like the teacups, Dumbo, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Alice in Wonderland, the the original merry-go-round carousel. And so they, this company, Aero Development, built all of those original rides. And they they kept, you know, doing stuff for Disney up until about the last thing that they did work on was Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted House. Yeah, wow. And, and when they were working on the Pirates of the Caribbean, and this is the ride, you know, it was just basically a shell yeah. of itself. But they they needed, you know, guinea pigs to test it out. So me and my cousin were the first to guinea pigs oh man so the so it was even open to the public you were just there testing yeah. it out no, wow. no. 
was way before it was ever completed or anything. Yeah, because I know I know it it pretty much opened after Walt Disney passed away. So was he still alive at that point when you test wrote it? I yeah yeah he was yeah he wasn't there yeah yeah did it but we we had to I remember my mom because it was like uh, during the week uh, it was a school day so my we got you know we got to get pulled out of school. Just really quickly, also on the other, on my other grandfather, there's a thing that just uh, it was on what was it, TCM I think, and I recorded it, uh, like a couple weeks ago. It's this thing called the Horse with the Flying Tail. It was originally aired on, you know, Disney on TV, but then it was, I think it was released theatrically because it actually won the Oscar for Best Documentary, hmm. whenever that was. I think it was like maybe 1960 or something. Wow. It's basically kind of a reenactment about a true story of a, of a, like an orphan horse that became this show-jumping champion horse. And my other grandfather appears in this kind of briefly because he was like a big horse guy back in the day. He was a rider, and he also was like a judge at horse events. And uh, so he was, you know, connected to the horse community here in L.A. So he sort of appears as a character. I mean, the whole thing is narrated, so they just show footage of things, and some of them are reenactments. Yeah. So he appears kind of in that role of somebody who's like, he wasn't necessarily playing himself, but uh, it's, it's it's weird that both grandfathers have... Yeah, that is so odd. That's great, though. I'm, I'm reading about it online. It says it was released theatrically as a double bill with Swiss Family Robinson. That's really cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's these, these little interesting, like, you know, Disney connections that I wasn't even always thinking of or aware of that, that still continue to kind of blow my mind and then yeah. the fact that I got to work for Disney it's like of course really yeah I love that and I know you probably keep busy nowadays with a lot of the uh, video game work that you do well I mean I try it's been a little rough lately because well one reason is there's this strike that's been uh-huh. going on between the, the union you know SAG AFTRA and the video game industry it's a whole, you know, I won't even get into yeah, the whole yeah. rigmarole, but it's it's now, I guess, officially the longest strike in the history of the union. Wow. And it's been just a drag. Huh. And it's, it, there are some, you know, companies and entities that have signed interim agreements, so there has been some work, but a lot of it has kind of stopped. And, and it's coming up. I think the strike started like last October. Yeah, that sounds about right. So it's you know it's just coming up on almost a year. Wow. So anyway, that 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 kind of puts a, a damper on everything. Um, you know, I I, I just I still keep uh, just plugging away. You know, auditioning a lot. Uh, that's that's kind of you know I, I'm unless you're in the the really higher upper circles, 
I guess, of the voiceover industry. You know, you still have to audition all the time. Yeah. So that's like 90, 90% <laughs> of what you do is, is auditioning. Yep. Um, I've gotten to work on, I mean, it's another Disney show over the last couple of years here and there, uh, Doc McStuffins. Yes, uh, it's yeah. It's like, you know, a younger, yeah. you know, it's in the, what is it? It's on Disney. Disney Kids. Junior, I believe. Disney Junior, yeah. yeah. But it's a, it's a great show, and it's, it's a, that's a, a fun character, uh, Officer Pete. Okay. He's like a little toy, nice. toy police car, and he sort of, uh, yeah, he sort of sounds like, like Joe Pesci. <laughs> it's like, all right, what's going on here? I'm just doing my job. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. What about anything to promote? Was there anything you want to talk about real quick? I know you have your brand new Facebook page. We can throw that out there too. Oh yeah, which uh, Jason was helping me on. Yep. It's still in its in its infancy, so there isn't that much. I've been working on, you know, and hopefully this is no waste of time. But I've been revamping my website. It's actually a, a woman in Minnesota who's been redoing that. So I'm hoping that that'll be uh, ready and launched soon. But then, yeah, the Facebook page needs to get ramped up. Mm -hmm. But there, yeah, it's it's all kind of in a little bit of a holding pattern at the moment. Uh, but yes, soon. So yeah, MichaelGoff.com and then Facebook, uh, Michael Goff. And I can there's put, a bunch of Michael Goffs. Yeah. There's more Michael Goffs <laughs> out there than I realize. And I can, I can put links to all those two on our show notes on our website as well. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, like I said in the beginning, big fan of your work. You've done some iconic, iconic characters that I've grown up with, and they still stand out today. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you. It's nice to to know. And I, I mean, like like we were talking earlier, I I get it. I I feel that way about certain things, and so to hear that is uh, uh, I'm uh, humbled and honored. So thank you. <laughs> Could I get you to close out the episode as a Colonel Spigot? So, thank you for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind, hosted by Tim Nidell. Perhaps you've heard of him? Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check him out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.